What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. And today we've decided to go back to our roots a little bit. Now, this podcast has been around for like seven years now or so with various hosts and various different iterations. But when we originally started this, we always went in not really knowing where the episodes were going to go and just having a general topic and figuring out from there. And that's what we're going to do today. Just talk playoff basketball because there have been so many compelling series and compelling games and compelling storylines. And we just want to hit all of them or at least as many as we can, whatever we do miss, we will probably cover on locker room this Sunday at 4 PM Eastern, uh, just as we do every single week. So send us questions uh, to our Twitter DMS to the NBA math account. When we inevitably put out a solicitation for your mailbag questions and check it out at 4 PM. With that out of the way, how's it going, Dan? I am spectacular. The energy drink I mixed before this is frozen because I tried to get the water cold by putting it in the freezer, but apparently I left it in too long. I blame you for that, for delaying us by like five That's minutes. Fair. It's those That's extra fair. five minutes that made it ice. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I'm pretty. I'm really digging that uh, the Spider-Man cup that you have there. Yeah, I have all these Marvel, like, are they just called shakers? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Drink mixers? Yeah. So I, I have so. all these different Marvel-themed shakers because i am an adult and that's what and a marvel shirt right now yes i do look you see me with my hair down too i'm like really a mess tonight tired exhausted enjoying the playoffs though how are you doing i'm the opposite i'm like a little bit dressed up which is very strange for me i do have a colored shirt on which might be the first time i've not had a a t-shirt on in like what a year it's a shame we haven't brought the video element to this podcast yet because you look dapper if i must say no hat i appreciate that i know dressed i'm I'm in Bracing the the receding hairline. Not even the nines. You're dressed to the tens. Thank you. I appreciate that. The one thing I wanted to ask you about before, and this is playoff related, your thoughts on, as we record this, it would be the past 24 hours of NBA fandom. Someone spitting on Matt, on Trey Young, a Knicks fan at Madison Square Garden. Someone pouring popcorn on Russell Westbrook as he's leaving with an injury. And then, of course, I'm sure you saw the report from Tim McMahon of ESPN about what was said to John Morant's family at the Jazz Grizzlies game. And it was racist. It was misogynistic. It was all too typical, not just for Utah, for so many fan bases. And then you have Danny Ainge saying no players have ever, he's never heard of anything racist being said to them in Boston. Again, this happens outside of Boston. It happens outside of Utah. The ignorance the, whether deliberate or accidental is off the charts there. Then you had Marcus Smart saying it happens all the time and it's disturbing because we know they root for us and that's it's hard to hear. It's hard to reconcile. This is gross. It's sickening. It's despicable. As I mentioned, it's also all too typical. It happens everywhere. No fan base is immune. There are fan bases that are worse than most. I would argue Boston and Utah are up there. They're also, I would say, look, Knicks fans, there, you don't hear about the, it, it happens. You're not going to hear about the racist comments as much, but they're brutal. And even a place like Philadelphia, you're chanting, was it fuck Russ or whatever it was when he's leaving with an injury? Like, come on, he's leaving with an injury. And how do we not understand that this is a fucking game and there are lines you don't cross? And there's also, look, there's the morality human element here too, where if you're saying that, and I won't even, I can't even bring myself to repeat it, what was said to John Morant's father or mother, I believe, like that's racism. It's just outright flagrant racism. And there is, that's not sports. That's not prisoner of the moment. That is racism, ingrained, entrenched racism. And it, it honestly grosses me out. I'm enraged that it happens so often, so sweepingly, so comprehensively. And you know what, because it's the playoffs, because now it's caught on video. That's why we're hearing about it. The fact that players probably don't talk about this more publicly, I'm sure it happens amongst themselves. It's, I don't know how they don't, do that. I don't know how they operate under these circumstances. I know they get paid a lot of money. 
And part of that, I guess, is to endure the criticism on social media. You're going to have fans booing you. Even John Moran's family said they were having back and forth with Jazz fans who, you know, kudos to the Philly fans that singled out the guy that poured popcorn on Russ. There were the Jazz fans that singled out the, the racist piece of shit. Great. And I still would say you remove that. These players are still under an enormous amount of pressure. I don't care how much money they make. This isn't a matter of getting soft. To have to listen to that trash talk, I would never search my name on Twitter. Someone could tell me my article was wrong or point out a granular point that's incorrect or that they don't agree with, and I'd probably be in shambles. So there needs to be more of a human element here. The fans that are listening to this podcast, I'm assuming are not the problem. If you are part of the problem, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but it's really discouraging that all this stuff still goes on. And it's not, look, Coming, this will be the last thing I'll say before I throw it to you. This is not the pandemic and isolation at work. Maybe people are more unruly because they've been inside or not been to sporting events for so long. This was happening across the board forever. This has just been going on. It just crops up every once in a while where we hear more about it. I will say I don't remember a 24-hour period or so hearing as many stories as we've done right now. And it is disheartening, even though you knew it was going on already. If I may inject just a little bit of levity here, I will have to say that that was the longest question I've ever been asked. That didn't include a question? <laughs> well, you you were like, I want your thoughts on this. I'm sorry. I, like, I texted you, no, bef- it's just funny. I texted you I, beforehand I saying I was enraged. So that was me yeah. just unloading. I second everything you had to say. I think the only thing I would add to it is that I'm just I'm thrilled that while all of this is going on, there is more of an acceptance of athletes speaking out about mental health. We've seen it for a couple of years now where guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and many others have opened up, have opened up to the public about the struggles that they face in that area. We've seen the younger generation of up-and-coming NBA stars be more open with their feelings and sharing what they're thinking and what their thought process is about so many of these things. And it's fantastic to see going to a different sport now, Naomi Osaka, just talking about how press conferences are kind of an archaic institution. And sure, there's like, there's some merit to it, but it feels like you're beating a a horse while it's down after a bad match. You deal with repetitive questions. You're forced to relive your worst moments over and over. And it's just not good for, for mental health for some people. And it's it's great to see the the worldwide and sports-wide embrace of that. Um, it's not happening universally, but it is happening. And I think that that is at least beneficial because, as you said, all of this is despicable. And it flies in the face of the very basic, bare minimum level of civility and decency as fellow human beings that we should ask from people who are attending a sporting event to be entertained by the people that they're berating. Like it, it's, it's baffling that it happens, but at the same time I get it because we live in an uncivil world and the country is very polarized at the moment and has been for quite some time. And it's, it's just, it's a shame. And I don't know what the solution is. I wish that, NBA teams would just say we're permanently banning you rather than indefinitely banning you, which has implies uh, redemption, which there shouldn't be when you're an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, I don't know what you do to ensure that it doesn't happen again because it's going to, but stronger steps and stronger actions have to be taken. Like the players are ultimately human beings who are, playing a game and getting paid a whole lot of money to play that game. But there is no amount of money that you can be paid. There's no amount of fame and recognition that you can achieve that should supersede basic human decency. I can't add anything to that because it was perfect. And I think it was smart that you touched that the indefinitely stuff bothers me, the implication of redemption there. If you're asking whether I think a grown adult who's hurling racial slurs at John Moran's family in front of their child, I believe it said, should be canceled. Yes. Correct. That's right. I, I think by canceled, you mean have consequences for their behavior? Concrete consequences, not indefinitely. Yeah. And I don't know how yeah. that one was phrased, so I don't want to misspeak on the Jazz one, but the Knicks one for sure said indefinitely. It should be permanently. There shouldn't be a chance for redemption here because there's, you know, I don't, it wouldn't make it any better if it were a child or something, but these are adults making decisions. Like you don't 
I don't know what the redemption here would be. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Kind of a heavy shift, though, or a heavy start before we shift into basketball. I do think while we this is going to be very off the cuff, we should start with the three series that will be played on Friday night for those who will be listening to this. I'll throw it to you. Between I can't I can't imagine you're at all interested in Nets Celtics. So between Knicks Hawks, Clippers Mavericks, you can choose where we go. I mean, we have to do Knicks Hawks, right? Considering we have a Hawks fan and a Knicks fan. The fact that we're doing this podcast at the moment while supporting each other still is a minor miracle. Pretending to support, maybe? Yeah, we're great actors. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's been really fun. I think that's the biggest takeaway so far, is that both Game 1 and Game 2 were really entertaining contests. I do think, and maybe I'm just biased here, I do think that the reactions of, like, we want Brooklyn after the Game 2 win and stuff was kind of hilarious. And I don't think after watching these first two games that the Knicks should be that confident coming into Atlanta. The game plan against everyone but Trey Young worked really well during game two, but the Hawks were what, like four of 22 from beyond the arc. And those were good looks in catch and shoot situations from the shooters that you largely want taking those shots. And it's like the continuation of the voodoo Jedi defense that the Knicks played so effectively in the first portion of the season where we were questioning the validity of the overall defensive chops and whether there was just going to be a stark regression to the mean. And I feel like we're going to see a little bit of that moving forward in this series because the Hawks offensive process has been far better than the Hawks offensive results. Yeah, I would be totally with you there. They're not going to, and I mean, they shot 12 of 33 from three in game two, which is 36.4% isn't that low, but the quality of their looks on there felt like they were. I think it was like four of 22 in the second half or something, though. Yeah, and I mean, look, the Knicks played hellacious defense in that third Mm -hmm. quarter, too. Without a doubt. But some of the stuff could normalize for the Knicks, too, because Julius Randle has been a non-factor for pretty much all of game one and then a lot of game two as well. I do agree with you that they shouldn't be chanting, we want Brooklyn. First of all, it's going to be Philly or Washington in the second round anyway, if we're talking about what's literally coming next. But I haven't seen anything that would make me think they stand a chance against and, either. And by Philly or Washington, you, you mean it, I was trying to be courteous there, but yes, it's it's going to be Philly. The Knicks themselves could, oh, and I, you know what? It was, the Hawks did not shoot 36% for it was 27.3. I was looking at the wrong team. They're going to shoot better from three. Their uncontested three-point percentage in this game was just basement low, sub-basement low. Negatives, even. I think. Yeah, it was, yeah, definitely negatives. I do think the Knicks offense probably has another gear, but I've been impressed with the way that Atlanta's been able to defend Julius Randle. Some of the shots he's taking are normal shots he would make, but the normal shots he would make, those are high variance. Those are really difficult looks that he has taken this season. And you do have to question, outside Julius Randle, do the Knicks have enough shot creation to get by you have Derrick Rose, you have Alec Burks, R.J. Barrett to some extent there, there too. You're going to need big performances from at least one of them every single night. Maybe you get them. They got it from Derrick Rose in Game 3. This series is, I don't. when you look on paper, I don't think it's evenly matched. I don't think it's a spicy take to say that the Hawks have a lot more talent than the Knicks, but their defense is gritty and they hustle. Uh, the fact that they lowered the, the Alfred Payton minutes by a total of three uh, minutes for Game 2 he was over five. Let's see if they pan that down even further. Also, the other thing, Reggie Bullock did a hell of a job against Trey Young um, for parts of that game. I still think Frank Nielakina should see time, even though he was obliterated on that last play. You can't ask him to sit on the bench for all but 23 seconds before that and then bring him in for nine seconds to stop Trey Young. I will die on that hill. 
But you, again, I'm talking about how the Knicks have a pathway to being better, and there's it's low-hanging fruit for the Hawks as well. You have to assume Danilo Gallinari will probably still continue to look like Marcin Gortat, but he won't shoot like him from long distance. That was a good line. He'll get better. Um, Bojan Bogdanovic, 2 of 13 from 3, and he's been critical to them navigating yep. the non-Trey Young minutes, going to be better. Lou um, Williams was a nightmare. DeAndre Hunter missed like 18 shots in a row in the third and fourth quarters. I know John Collins was in foul trouble, but two shot attempts from him, yeah. you know, missing all of them, that's just a wild game. I feel more comfortable about my pick, which was Hawks in seven after the start of the series, but this does almost feel like a, if I had to go one way, it feels like it's fate to complete to go seven games, but there's also the element of if there's a team that's going to pull away out of this and turn it into a shorter series than we expect right now, I still have that feeling it'll be Atlanta. Yeah, I picked the Knicks going into the series, and the first two games have convinced me to switch that. I, I, I think I'd be pretty surprised if the Knicks did win this series. As you mentioned, there are definitely pathways to improvement, Julius Randle most notably, but it doesn't feel like there are as many of those as the Hawks have. I mean, ultimately, this is a game that was tied with a few minutes left, albeit with major runs on both ends. The Hawks were up 15 at one point. The Knicks were up 10 in the fourth quarter before it was tied. Uh, but that happened in spite of John Collins having the first scoreless game of his NBA career. All of the shooting woes that we've mentioned. You're not going to shut down Trey Young at this point. He, It's remarkable how much more in control of the offense he is he's always put up huge numbers but these feel like they're coming more naturally he's not forcing those super deep looks he's not committing stupid turnovers by trying to do too much he's very much figured it out on the offensive end and he's playing a little bit peskier defense than i think the national audience has realized he's been playing for a little bit so it just feels like there's more upside and the fact that it's one and one and one coming out of the two Madison Square Garden games and could have been two in the Hawks' favor, despite those struggles, I think is really encouraging for Atlanta to maybe end this in like six. On Trey Young's defense, I think the Knicks are glorifying that because they're not a team for that's sure. hunted mismatches and there is But he hasn't been a train wreck the whole season. I mean, he's still been bad. He's year. been bad, but if I view it like I did like Boston Celtics era Isaiah Thomas where there were serious limitations that were going to always prevent him from being a good, even passable defender. But he played passing lanes and hustled enough that he wasn't just a huge glaring liability every time out. My stance would be, though, that the Knicks have to get better at attacking him on defense because there For shouldn't sure. be. It's criminal that he's allowed to stand still on certain possessions on guys because they're not going to try and go after him. That, that hasn't been the Knicks' MO this season. I, I totally recognize that. Make it your MO at this point. Yeah, I guess like the only way they're really going to do that, though, is with Derrick Rose minutes or by getting Trey to switch on to Julius Randle. And the Hawks are going to do everything they can do to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, there's the look, if, you, if you're going to put him on Reggie Bullock, I guess at points, then it gets different. Like, are you not going to are you going to use Reggie Bullock as the screener? You could absolutely use RJ Barrett as the screener if you wanted to. I think we're going to see both of those things happen. So would be my guess in game three. But yeah, I, I still you flipped your pick. I'm still with the Hawks here. Have either of us, I had Clippers in five over Dallas. YouTube commenters were all over me claiming I didn't watch the Mavericks. I did as well. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. I, I definitely did watch the Mavericks this year and over the second half when we knew they were better. I was still terribly off base on the pulse of this series. LA trails 0-2 in this. Has your pick flip-flopped or do you still give the Clippers a legitimate chance of winning this series. I'm going to, I'm going to continue picking the Clippers to win the series. Ultimately. I think that Luka Doncic is fucking amazing. First and foremost. I mean, he's going against a team with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Patrick Beverly, and he's torching all of them. And that's kind of the problem is that they've won these two games, but it has been an enormously taxing set of affairs for Doncic and I think he's going to wear down a little bit there's going to be an off game where he'll still play like a star because he's a superstar but they need him to be that guy every single night and I think the Clippers depth is still going to give them a fighting chance in this series but it, it's going to go the distance I'm very tempted to flip to the Mavericks in this one. I get it. Like the Mavericks are better than I anticipated in this setting. Now that they have their full complement of players, you know, Christoph Porzingis has 
been more effective than he has been in quite some time. Doncic is just playing ridiculously high-level basketball. Tim Hardaway Jr. is playing like he wants a new contract. There are a lot of positive pieces here, more so than I expected. But I just I look at the energy expenditures, and I wor- I wonder about that for Dallas. And also the other thing is, will Tim Hardaway Jr. continue to shoot tr- two trillion percent from beyond the arc in this series? I think that's a fair question. He's he's played fantastic basketball this series, but you are right. If they get to a point where they need another shot creator, I don't know if they have that. Yeah, you have Jalen Brunson, even Tim Hardaway Jr. can do a little bit of that. But if you need a lot of it, if the Ma- if the excuse me, if the Clippers are able to force the ball out of the Mavericks' hands at all, and they could stand to play Doncic more aggressively on defense. They're, you know, they elected to play small a lot in game two. I don't know. Do you think that's the answer is to go smaller? I'm not sure what the answer is against him right now. I think you, if you want to go smaller, it should be with the intent to switch everything. And that's when you should get into minutes where, you know, maybe you don't have a a real guard on the floor. Is it Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Paul George, Batum, and Terrence Mann on the court? That that would be if you're going to downsize that much. Otherwise, maybe it's worth it to use Serge Ibaka a little bit more. I think you have to. I mean, 18 minutes through two games for a guy who's that effective on defense still and who can space the floor with his shot, like play him a I little just, bit more. I mean, I want to see more Terrence Mann too. But I think Terrence Mann might be more important when you're looking at, and they did play him 15 plus in game two. Might be more important if you're looking at the scope of defending Doncic because with Serge Ibaka, I would argue he's probably less adept in space than Zubat. And so if there is a switch, and we've seen needless switches from the Clippers through both games, really, he could get cooked just as much as Zubats, which might be the appeal of going small. But I think at that point, like Patrick Beverly's fantastic. I don't want to see him or Reggie Jackson match up against Luka Doncic there. And it still does seem like they're, and look, I'm not the exes and no savant, but based off, I was reading John Hollinger and then just watching the game. Like there seems to be a lot of miscommunication going on in Los Angeles. They definitely do have the talent to get out of this. I think the defense has clearly been their biggest issue. They're going to need more from their supporting cast overall. Kawhi was good, was great. 41 points, four assists, four of seven from three. Paul George was good. Only went one of seven from three. You need him to shoot better on those, but he was good overall. The Marcus Morris, like, yeah, two of five from three is technically good. He's been a disaster. Yeah, he's been by and large not great. And especially in game one, he really hurt them. Patrick Beverly has been a non-factor for them on offense. You need someone to really step up here. And I don't, Rondo is not, you know, seven assists in game two. I don't know that he's having the intended impact. I might have, I said a lot of times this season, I don't think they need a point guard and this, or conventional point guard, pure floor general, whatever you want to call it. I thought that was overrated. And now almost walking that back is... They probably did need a different look at point guard. Just maybe it wasn't Rondo was the archetype of player that they need. They need someone who's both a table setter and also not afraid to shoot. Or I don't want to say Rondo's afraid to shoot, but who's going to look for their own shot too when they're on the ball. So it's weird that I kind of, I feel like I might've underrated that aspect of this roster construction. And yet they tried to address it. And I think they kind of went the wrong way there. Would you and I don't want to relitigate this too much, but you'd rather have Lou Williams or Rondo in this series. And this obviously comes with the caveat that Lou will not, not playing so hot against the Knicks. I think I'd still rather have Rondo for this team. You just, it's nice to have another creator, but they have those. I mean, there's no, there's no issue for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George taking over games. It's the defense that has been the biggest challenge. And Rondo's going to give you a little bit more on that end. He's still not a great defender especially at this stage of his career, but he's going to give you more. What's the fallout or is there any fallout? That's where this? I was. That's go where I was going to go. I was going to ask you, like, I, I don't know that I want to stick to our series by series style too long. So is Kawhi Leonard a, fr- a flight risk? I would say no, because it feels like this is more of a location thing for him. And yeah, unless he's that's gonna, my sense too. Is he going to force like a sign and trade to the Warriors or the Lakers? Uh, unless that's on the table, which I don't think it would be. I would assume he's back. The fallout, I would imagine, is everyone else. Does Paul George get shopped? It's hard to figure a more ideal partner for Kawhi Leonard than Paul George, but if if this doesn't work, and you get bounced in round one, this isn't even round two, and you weren't even leading. It's not like you blew a three-to-one lead where you're like, oh, we would have been fine. It was just an anomaly. This is going to be everywhere. You bring Serge Ibaka as a player option. Would he be back? Do you look at trying to trade Zubats and get like a more mobile big? 
do you look at, I think the two things you look at, and look, they're, here's, this, here's what's difficult about their situation. Is it's easy to say, shot Paul George. Who are you getting for Paul George that upgrades your roster? And there are teams, you know, I saw theories on it, like, oh, Miami could get him. Like, you throw in Tyler, he, Tyler Hero, Andre Godala's salary, Goran Dragic's salary. How does that make the Clippers better? They're not this team that's looking to rebuild. And so picks or a prospect like Hero is not going to move the needle for them. That's what makes it so complicated. They might be the ones that do something a little bit more. It's, it's not nuclear because I don't know that they have the assets to do that, but you do have Beverly's money. You have the Luke Kennard money now. That extension does not look so hot when he's not even playing DNP coaches' decisions in this series. Can you go out and get maybe an, this was thrown on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast this past week. Someone mentioned, like, do you use Kennard and Beverly as the basis to try and get Kemba Walker from hmm. Boston if Boston's just looking to trim their overall payroll? I like that might be that might be the type of fallout we're looking at, or you could try and get more mobile up front with moving on from Zubats, Abaka. I don't know what options are out there for them, though. And that's what makes this so difficult. They don't have the assets to go and make a win-now swing. And then their players that they can move, like they have these digestible salaries. I don't know how interested teams are going to be in Patrick Beverly, in Luke Kennard. And then, yes, you can, even Marcus Morris on his deal. There will be interest, but what are you getting from Marcus Morris that makes you better? You get into the element of, oh, they're just trimming payroll. And I'll go... The, the Paul George stuff, like, is there, what's the star for star swap out there that could potentially make sense? It, you know, Paul George for Beal, like that might make sense for the Clippers, but like, does it make sense for the Wizards? Because you're probably like Russ and Paul George been there, done that in Oklahoma city. So I just don't know what the move would be. You're not doing it, but my point would be, you're not doing it for picks and prospects that all these other teams, whether you're the Knicks, I saw the Warriors fans getting in on this, where it's like, you absolutely Wiseman offer in Wiseman the in the pick. Yeah. Like, that's great, but the Clippers don't want Wiseman in the pick because they have Kawhi. But if they if they did, like if they were actually looking to blow this up in a rebuilding style, which again, they shouldn't because Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Los Angeles Clippers, uh, you know, and you might laugh me out of the room for this one, but you know who's a super interesting fit next to Paul George? Next to Paul George, like on the Clippers or a different team? On a different team. Like if they're going the true rebuilding route, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander. <laughs> that is such a great pairing. OKC okay, so just running it back with How PG. hilarious would it be, right? If OKC is like, well, we have more picks than we expected now. Like, let's shop a couple of them. <laughs> if they do move Paul George, it's probably a three-team scenario, right? Where there's a rebuilding yeah, team I that think, wants the picks. I think so, but I want you to acknowledge my PG-13 SGA combo. I would love it to would see that. It would be fun, right? It would be hysterical. It makes sense. <laughs> Except that the Clippers would never do it, obviously. <laughs> No, because they'd want Shea Gilchrist Alexander back. Would Shea Gilchrist Alexander be a better compliment to Kawhi than Paul George? I actually kind of think so. I probably agree with you. You just get more of that traditional pick and roll element out of him, even though he wasn't doing a ton of that in Oklahoma City. He didn't have the talent to do it. And ultimately, one of the biggest struggles the Clippers have is an inability to get to the free throw line. And that's something that SGA can do. Yeah, they're and they can go on runs where they're because they have the probably is he the best guy in the league at drawing fouls on jump shots? Has to be one of the the top five in Kawhi mm -hmm. Leonard. But yeah, there's there's that uh, problem for them. You look at they're not a team that's going to have Rondo. You know, after the Serge Ibaka injury, they got to the rim a lot more. That hasn't necessarily held up in this series. So uh, yeah, there's a ton of issues. Do you think there will be? without getting into specifics like we just went through the scenarios, the two separate questions. What percentage chance would you peg of Kawhi leaving LA, opting out, forcing a sign and trade, whatever, outright leaving, if they lose this series? And two, let's say that doesn't happen. Do you expect some other kind of significant fallout, or would it be more likely that they run this back again? I think I'd put it at like 20-ish percent. That's actually I feel like pretty you, high. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be a little higher than you would expect, because... Kawhi is just notoriously inscrutable, and I don't want to even pretend that I have any insight to what his thinking is. Now, maybe he is tired of losing because he has won championships with multiple franchises and experienced what it's like to be at the pinnacle of the association. 
but I don't know. I have no idea. And I just, I think because the, one of the biggest reasons reportedly that he made the decision to go to LA in the first place was to be closer to home and to be playing in LA. I think it's hard to see a move happening for actually having fallout from a loss. Even if they're swept, I'm not sure that they're really going to be able to blow it up. That's the, maybe there would be a desire to, but I think you're still looking more at moves around the periphery and maybe getting rid of a certain head coach who was carried to a title by LeBron James. Whoa, that is a scorching hot take. Is it? I do think Dwight. What has, uh, Dwight, what has Tyron I, Lue done as a coach that should put him in the upper echelon? Especially to the point that you get rid of Doc Rivers for him. I do think he was touted for his ability to sort of... And look, there's been closed-door stuff under Doc Rivers in the past with Blake Griffin right. and CP3. Doc Rivers has still been a little vindicated during this, yeah. this Clipper series. If if there's still tension behind the scenes, if we find out that all this stuff was still happening this year, then maybe it's fair to reevaluate how Ty Lue... But like, how is it... I get... I mean, it is on him, no, the defensive... In, in all seriousness, though, like, if somebody came to you... With Ty Lue's resume, what about it is standing out at this point? I mean, he's been a pretty heralded assistant in the past. Sure. There are a lot of pretty heralded assistants who are not successful as head coaches. Wow, that is not where I thought. I, do you get rid of him after one year, though? And I'm assuming Kawhi and Paul George approved of him. Otherwise, he's not in L.A. right now. Yeah, I would assume that that was the case. But if you can't mess with the roster too much and you don't want to blow it up by trading one of your two superstars who's going to be the natural scapegoat probably probably rondo <laughs> yeah i get it maybe marcus I, morris yeah he'll be one of the natural ones and, yeah i mean i'm not trying to put down ty Lue's coaching acumen or anything like that like as you said he does have a lot of success as an assistant coach which i just kind of think he was in cleveland that's fair. I I am just I guess I can't imagine anything happening because it's year one, but I guess Nate Bjorkin is about to get fired in Indy, so yeah. anything's I mean, possible. Like, think about someone like Ron Adams, right, who was just massively successful as a as essentially a defensive coordinator on coaching staffs. But there was never any speculation that he was going to become a head coach because there are so many fantastic basketball coaches like Tyron Lue who are great in the second chair i I, I, I genuinely don't mean this as an insult to I, lou i think it's going to come across that way i just i'm not sure that he's the guy you want in the head coach role to take a team like this to a title because ultimately like Kawhi leonard and paul george are not vocal leaders the clippers have had chemistry issues you look at this roster on paper and it should consistently be so much better than it is there is just an overabundance of talent on paper See, I think the more so, so two things. The, I think Ty, Ru, Ty Lue has done stuff for them on offense where the ball has definitely moved more for stretches and still can bog down than it did under Doc Rivers. If he doesn't adjust more defensively, like figuring out how to just, if you you either have to force the ball out of Luka's hands, be quicker with the doubles that you're sending, or say, you know what, Kawhi on Luka, whole game, no switching, done. That's That's what I would do. I mean... I think you're in that territory. You can, because yeah. the argument's fair. He does so much on offense. Do you want him to do that on defense? Despite Paul George saying they're not concerned, the answer is yes. You We're at yep. that point. Yep. I think the bigger flaw is relying on the coach to be that voice we're talking about in the locker room. 100%. And they don't have a guy on the roster. I know Serge did it in Toronto. He also had Kyle Lowry. That chemistry, he had Gasol there too. Like the chemistry within that locker room was off the charts. You had a multiple guys and then Rondo has always sort of been a it seems like teammates really enjoy playing with him and he's his IQ is through the roof but I don't know if he's the right player to come in and you have him and Serge Ibaka and Ty Lue clashing heads that's going to send the wrong me message you ultimately need I would say you know a bunch of Jarrett Dudleys in your locker room or Channing Fries, whatever or you you need a marquee player yep and Serge just isn't that Rondo isn't even that at this point and that is the bigger issue to me. I don't think that can be on Lou specifically. That feels like the organization setting him, even Doc Rivers, up to fail a little bit. And I'm not trying to look. Kawhi and Paul George are both spectacular all-NBA players. I do think Kawhi is great on both ends of the ball. But if this, if we hear another offseason of like a locker room that he's basically at the, the forefront of is sort of in shambles, we the whole LeBron versus Kawhi conversation 
was officially ridiculous <laughs> and never should have taken place. But that's where I'm looking at. And so can you do something to improve the chemistry right. of this team? But it comes back to what you said. I would vote against seismic changes just because I, I can't fathom what those would be unless Kawhi or Paul George says that they want out and force the Clippers' hands. Which is, again, why I think it's just a little bit more likely that you do see that after one year coaching change. And just to be as explicitly clear as I can be, like I'm not saying that Ty Lue is a big problem for the Clippers. He's done a lot of good things. He's more of a neutral in my mind. Uh, and th- that's why I think it's likely that he's replaced because I'm not sure that he does enough to elevate the team. But again, like if that came across as me trying to bash Ty Lue's coaching ability, like my apologies, and that is not the intent. I don't want to spend too much time on Celtics Nets. Boston will lose in four. Do you what think series? <laughs> exactly. The, uh, I think it's the plan. Is this still the plan we're watching? It feels like it. Is there fallout here for Boston once they get swept? No, not with Jalen Brown out. Not with Jason Tatum poked in the eye and maybe not totally 100%. It, I don't think there should, there should be because this is not – it hasn't been – the team that it should have been all year because the top seven players, I don't have, they played one game together this season and it hasn't even been like, I'm serious. I don't think, I don't think the top seven rotation members have played a single game together. Do they even go and it seven hasn't deep? been like, they go seven NBA right. players deep. That's impressive. It hasn't even been, it hasn't even been like one season ending injury because Jalen Brown's happened so late in the campaign. It's just been this steady stream of, COVID-19 related absences and health and safety protocols and minor injuries and more serious injuries that take a month to recover from. And we just haven't seen the Boston Celtics that were advertised through some fault of their own, but not through all fault of their own. And we're still not seeing, we're seeing an even more diminished version now. So I don't think there should be a coaching change. I don't think that there should be massive roster turnover and upheaval. Like, this is still a really good team when all the pieces are there. So I'm going to disagree with you, I think, pretty significantly here. I don't put this on coaching. I don't even put it on the players. It's Danny Ainge, the front office. They really try not well, to yeah, for the rest of this pot. They mess this right. up. And so I think the fallout is they have set themselves back years because you don't have a move after this. The Kemba contract, I love Kemba Walker. I would take a bullet for Kemba Walker. Two years and $73 million left, that's not eminently movable right now. He has been unspectacular in the playoffs. What do you do? What's the move? You are going to be, by virtue of having Kemba, Jalen Brown, Kemba on a max, Jalen Brown on a near max, Jason Tatum's max kicks in next year. You still have Tristan Thompson on the books, Marcus Smart. You're going to be in the tax or, or awfully close to it for next season. And you, you're not getting, you know, you're not, you don't have the assets to go out there and do anything because you can build stuff around Marcus Smart if you want to, but like these these picks have now conveyed into players, and I think Neesmith and Pritchard have shown that they're interesting. They're not like these super they're good tan- rotation members. Yeah, they're not like these super tantalizing prospects that can anchor a blockbuster. Romeo Langford has not played enough to reach that and has the injury concerns. Grant Williams, like the the liners with him at the Rough. five, they can be like a little bit fun, but he's underachieved relative to expectations and how smart people believed he was. You have Robert Williams. That's great. He is. It's more than great. Come on. Here's the thing. The value of big men who don't shoot or put the ball on the floor. Yeah. They're his passing is better than that. And I look, his one-on-one defense feels like it's gotten a lot better. He's extension eligible this summer. And so that drives down the value of someone you have to reinvest in. What is the move? And so it's either you ride this out with a team that unless both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown make leaps into being top 10 players. I don't see a pathway to them being contenders. Now it's a matter of, so waiting it out, in which case you're not going to win a title for the next year or two, or can you go out and make a move? And I think if they do make a move, it's going to be cost cutting where it's, oh, we dumped Kemba. What did you get back? If, if you got Patrick Beverly and Luke Kennard back for Kemba Walker, let's say that's the framework. You don't get better. You don't. You got... I do think this offseason we're going to see Danny Ainge make a ton, I repeat, a ton of almost transactions. <laughs> the least spiciest take. That bit will never get old, by the way. People, never. People get mad on never. Twitter whenever I point it out. I do not care. That is the funniest thing to me. I Something, if they want to be good, 
or if they want to be title contenders, I think they're at least two years away because that aligns with some of the contracts. The other interesting thing here is you could sign Marcus Smart to an extension, and I know people still view him as a one-way player. I think he does have a little bit more to offer on offense. It doesn't really matter, but he's at $14.3 million next season, not underpaid. Is that? I don't know if that's enough of a number to extend him at because 120% of that is what? You're looking at is that eighteen million? I guess maybe you could work off an right extension from there. So you have to worry about his free agency in 2022. You're at a process where you could just be staying expensive. They really screwed up a window of opportunity here. I think the biggest misses. I mean, you look at you lost Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and they all turned into Evan Fournier and what's left of that trade exception. Essentially, that's I won't put all of that on Danny Ainge. Clearly something was amiss with the Kyrie Irving stuff, and the team has to be to blame to some extent for that. The Al Horford thing, I don't think anyone's begrudging them for not matching that contract. The Gordon Hayward ones, that's the big one, because you ended up getting a trade exception, which you turned into Evan Fournier for that. If you could have had Miles Turner and a first, it sounds like, that was the deal. Because here's what, here's what that does. Not only does it give you Miles Turner, and maybe you think he's fodder for Joel Embiid. I don't care. Everyone's fodder for Joel Embiid. It also means you don't sign Tristan Thompson. You used your best spending tool, physical spending tool last year on Tristan Thompson, and you ended up giving away giving away Daniel Tice, who is better than Tristan Thompson. You have RW3, so that gives you some cover. But had you had Miles Turner, you have Daniel Tice, you have RW3 still. The center rotation is better. And who knows who you sign with that mid-level exception then? You probably use it on a player who's not Jeff Teague and a better ball handler there. Danny Ainge and the front office, I'm trying not to curse again for this podcast because I was so heated at the beginning of it. They they messed up big time, and I think it set the Celtics back, you know, if we include this year, a total of two or three years. If not more. But <laughs> That's harrowing, but it's also accurate. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of all of what you're saying there. My My only rebuttal is that I think we need a better nickname for Robert Williams. Than Time Lord or RW3? Yeah, Time Lord, like, I don't know. It just doesn't really, like, flow off the tongue. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't, and I RW3 think it, is dumb. It kind of mocks him, does it not? Because he overslept or yeah. had a problem with punctuality. He's so fun. He, and there needs to be, like, a good nickname for well, him. Okay, how do you feel about Boo Butt? Because that's listed on Basketball Reference. <laughs> yeah. I, that's I'm how here, I feel. I'm sorry. I'm here for Boo Butt because that's, that's so just... <laughs> off the wall i would like to know the origin story for that one if anyone has the boo butt origin story uh one of my because you know i think as i've gotten older and had to do so much different stuff with the league i've fallen off like i only just found out after the raptors blazers trade about norman powell's dogs i'm not as in tune with the the cultural like the the pop culture stuff of the the nba so i love going to basketball reference and like so even i think it was a few months ago i went to jason tatum's page and saw that he had the nickname taco J. And I didn't know that. Did you? He doesn't have that nickname. Oh, he doesn't? Let me double check. No, I mean, I'm sure that it's listed there because everything's listed there. But I think, like, I, I think, and I could be totally off base here, but I believe that Basketball Reference adds those if they're, like, called it once in a, in a column by, like, a local paper or by an announcer or something. So you get a ton of just one-off ones that – obviously they're not being called out with any semblance of frequency. Yeah, it is listed there though. Uh, but there are some great ones like shout out to, to big penguin, Andre Drummond and stuff like that. And Marcus smart actually has, I don't know that he's called these, but Cobra and Wolverine. Those are like, I like those. Yeah, I guess. But like, I've literally never heard those used. Okay. The last Celtics guy who is the best. Evan nickname- Fournier is don't is never Google. I actually had an Evan Fournier tweet go off about Googling the other night. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Brown needs a better nickname. JB and old man. <laughs> That's it. JB is fine, actually. I don't mind that one. Like, if you call Jason Tatum JT. That's taken, though. By J- oh, yeah. That's fair. In our text, yeah. Jacob Bourne, we will never bestow your nickname upon someone else. Oh, so we need a better name for Robert Williams. I think we need a better name for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm fine with the Marcus Smart ones. I'll let those stand. I don't know that Jalen Brown needs one. There's something about like, there are some names where you just don't need a nickname, like Steph Curry, LeBron James. You don't need nicknames there. I feel like Jalen Brown is just a really good superstar basketball name. 
Kemba Walker is a great superstar bass. Kemba and Cardiac is actually also a good nickname, by the way. I agree. And that was that dates all the way back to UConn. That is a legit nickname. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to a couple other teams before we wrap up here. Heat Bucks. So, holy crap. The Bucks are now 5-1 and one against the Heat this season. Can you guess Milwaukee's average margin of victory in those five wins? It's going to be like 17.2 points. You got the decimal right. It's 25.2. Wow. Jimmy Butler didn't play in any of the regular season games, so he's absent two of those victories. They have still been absolutely slaughtered during the playoffs. He really turned it up in... Or turned it, I should say he turned it up more. It wasn't his best game that we've seen him play in game three, seven of 17. It felt like he was being more aggressive. Two of four from three is a great night for him. What is going on with Bam at a bio on this? Year? He might have had the quietest seven of 14, 17.8 rebound, four assist night, one block, one steal I've, I've ever seen. He had a I think it's of- a testament to him that he's still putting up those numbers while totally disappearing, but it definitely feels like he's totally disappeared. I just, I want to see him. I don't like oversimplifying it to this, and there's other stuff. The Bucks defense has just absolutely been wild. Let's make that clear. Like, I need to see Bam Adebayo get more than three looks at the basket. And yeah. he was five of eight on twos outside the restricted area and still inside the paint. Uh, but oh of three from twos outside the paint. I've like, said over and over that I don't want him to be more aggressive. This is not what I meant, Bam. <laughs> Please stop that. You, I pushed back against this, but you know what? I'm there. Have him run more pick and roll at this point. Do something else with Jimmy Butler to maybe get him moving. I don't know what they do. Are they, the two questions are, will they get swept? And what's the fallout for them? That one's tougher because they hinge so much of their hopes in this upcoming free agency class that has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. I still, my favorite thing to think about is Giannis waiting on purpose for free agency to play out last year before signing his extension so that it, it messed with the futures of all the teams that were waiting on him. I 100% could buy that. But yeah, I mean, I just, Miami feels like it's stuck waiting until a superstar is legitimately available via trade. Whether that's Carl Anthony Towns, as weird of a combination as he and Bam Adebayo would be, or the classic Bradley Beal example, or some unknown player who hasn't yet asked for a trade but might. But it doesn't feel like they have any paths other than that because they're not going to have much draft capital. This free agency class is garbage relative to previous ones. And this roster just isn't going to work. I mean, I think we're now realizing just how accurate Jason Tatum's comment about some players like Tyler hero being products of the bubble environment and not necessarily playing like this on a more regular basis. This guard, this guard rotation is a mess. Goran Dragic is not himself anymore. He's not going to be himself given the advanced nature of his age. Tyler Hero is not going to be a star. Kendrick Nunn is not going to be a star. And that is a significant problem when you have Jimmy Butler, who as great as he is as a go-to scorer, that's not his natural role. Bam Adebayo is not a go-to scorer. And that just necessitates even stronger guard play that they don't have and they don't have a path to. Yes. Every, everything you said a hundred times over, yes. They are what they're saving grace. I don't know how much cap space will matter this summer because of how you pointed out, but they have a path to you know getting more than $20 million in cap space while still carrying holds for Duncan Robinson. I would renounce, maybe you don't renounce Kendrick Nunn, but I just don't know what his material value is to this team long term. So are you going after like Rashawn Holmes? Like, <laughs> What's the play with that max money? Yeah, I, mean, I worry that that's going to mess them up even more because they're going to overpay someone. It's not going to be max money because of it's just not. It's under. It's it's barely over twenty million. Giving Bam the extension kind of took them out of the Giannis sweepstakes. You would always figure out a way to get them. Make that clear. It would have right. been a sign and trade or something, but they're not going to have max money. I think the reason you spend on someone this year is just because you can't afterwards. Because I'm assuming they're not going to let Duncan Robinson walk, and I'm assuming Duncan Robinson gets more than Davis Bertans did. Probably. So, you know, maybe they'll be in the Kawhi mix. They'll probably be in the Kyle Lowry mix. You spend that money just because it's not going to be available to you if you're planning on keeping Duncan Robinson. The one thing I want to push back on, and Tyler Hero's been underwhelming this year, to put it kindly, verging, and he's been bad in this series. I don't 
understand why people can't look past the report that the Heat wouldn't give him up in a James Harden trade because the jokes are funny, but I'm starting to see that people really believe that that was a real stance when I think what was happening, and pretty clearly, by the way, there were so many other moving parts that the Heat couldn't get to. Yes, they could figure out the salary matching because of those contracts for, for Dragic and um, Andre Godala. They had Olenek at the time, too. They figured out a way to get Oladipo's money there. So, like, they, there would have been a way to do that, but they just didn't have the pick equity to beat out Philly's offer or what turned out to be the Nets' offer. Do you think that Houston would have done whatever Miami could have offered? They would have had to move some stuff around for picks. You're probably looking at two firsts and Tyler Hero plus salary filler and maybe Precious Achua, whatever. Are they doing that deal over what Philly had on the table, which was Ben Simmons and Mystery Box after that? Or what they got from the next. No. And so if you're the Heat, you might as well just put the idea to bed and say you're not going to include Tyler Hero so that it doesn't have him. Right. And it could be a leverage play as well. Like if you think that you're close, then you could be trying to make them cave a little bit because there's always that leverage sign and uh, song and dance in play. So I I don't. I don't really buy that narrative at all. I don't, I, and I think had they had the assets to actually get Harden, because I don't think, and I think they know that Tyler Hero wasn't going to get him, even if you did view him as the second coming of Devin Booker, as the comp that I've seen, which I never really saw it. But anyway, let's say Houston assumed that that's what he was. That's not getting you James Harden alone. They just didn't have the other moving parts. And so that is the second thing I wanted to cover there. But I do think there will be fallout in Miami in the form of, I think that they will they will be aggressive in free agency with Kyle Lowry. Maybe they even try and get meetings with Chris Paul if he opts out. They'll definitely try and be in on Kawhi if he opts out. They'll probably spend the money smaller scale too, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe try and chase more trades with Tyler Hero being more widely available. His value has obviously cratered, though. Here's the thing. Ultimately, Miami is about to be swept out of the playoffs. Maybe they win one game and then go down in five games. They don't have many pathways to improvement unless a star becomes available and they really favor whatever offer is thrown out there by Pat Riley and the Heat. And if you look up and down this roster, the only people I see who I think have even a remote chance of making an all-star team are Bam Adebayo and a a soon-to-be 32-year-old Jimmy Butler. I don't think there's anyone else on the roster that has all-star upside. I would agree with you there. That's a huge issue. Like, the, I, I think I think the Heat are just stuck. And it, maybe it's weird to say about a team that just made the finals a year ago, but that was also strange circumstances benefiting from some fortuitous happenings. Didn't go well in the finals. And we've seen the fallout now. And I just, I don't see, like they're, even with the Clippers, I think you can piece together a path to something better. I, I don't As even know where to constructed, start. you mean, right? Yeah, I just I don't even know where to start with Miami. Are the are you stuck when you have Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and cap space? Were you? I, I think so. You're because, stuck if you want to get a third star. You're not yeah, stuck and I if really, you want to. I really hate the mentality that every team should be championship or bust. I think the teams that make the playoffs after years of struggles should be able to celebrate those accomplishments. I think that the idea that rings are the only things that really matter and that every team should either be the worst team in the league or a true championship contender. I think those ideas are corrosive to the overall quality of the league and do not reflect well on what we as a society value, but the heat are still stuck in that upper tier of mediocrity for the time being, I think. And like, if that's okay with you, great. Like let's, let's celebrate those teams that are consistently good and don't want to tear it down, which is also not to discredit those who do want to tear it down. But no matter what philosophy the heat organization adheres to, I just don't see the path forward. And that's something I don't think you can say about any other team where it's like, if they want to be rebuilders, I don't know what they do because you're still like, are you getting that much for Jimmy Butler at this stage of his career enough to facilitate a true teardown? I don't think so. Well, I was going to say it does get interesting because he turns 32 in September and will be a free agent after next year. If he declines his player option, which I imagine he will. I still don't think they're stuck, but I get your overarching point. That definitely makes sense. 
there's they're clearly not at the level that we thought they were in the bubble. I don't I do think a lot of this is a testament to Milwaukee. It's just a lot different. And having Drew Holiday stretches, I also a mistake for Miami. You should have brought Jay Crowder back. You could have if you needed yep. the space later. I'm a very big advocate of get the space later when you need it. Jay Crowder would have been monstrous for this team. They're just stretched so thin on defense now. That's not to say, though, had they gone up against Philly, had they gone up against someone else in the first round, Atlanta, New York, that they still wouldn't have necessarily gotten beat. But I, I get, I don't think they're that stuck because you have, you think Bam Adebayo can be a top 10 player. There's a chance I that- 100% think that. There's a chance that he and Jimmy Butler's windows align to the point where they're both top 15 players next year. You're not stuck when you have that in cap space and Duncan Robinson. I am very interested to see what happens with him because you have to have a little bit, I don't think anything that he's done. He shot a little worse this year, but it was still over 40%. And the level of difficulty on his attempts is wild. And defenses are more keyed in on him now that they know what's going on with Duncan Robinson. I think he probably gets between 15 and 18 million a year. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And are you? if the Heat don't pay that, that's when we start thinking, okay, well, what's going on here? There feels like there's something more at play. But I do agree with you. The path forward now is because what the the question of what do you do now, I think is harder than ever. But I don't I think there are options on the table. If they wanted to tear it down, they could. If they want to make a minor swing, Tyler Hero, and then the you have the the Goron deal, you have Andre Godala's team option too. I don't know who you can get with that, even if you're attaching a very distant first round pick. I wouldn't be too surprised to see Kemba in a heat jersey next year. But that might be that's the thing. That might be the play. And that's not, you know. They could do that. The is that a push this team over the top move, though? If Kemba's Kemba, yes. Kemba's thirty-one and has been on the decline for a little bit, and has a long history of knee injuries. Now the knee injuries, yes. Was he? He's he was still really good for most. He was of still life. really good, but that doesn't mean he wasn't declining. A no, no. Bit. This year he was he was not great. I'm saying I'm not ready to count him out off of. What I, I too do. love Kemba, and I'm appreciate. I'm very appreciative of you toning down what you were about to say and going with not great. <laughs> i saw that hesitation in your eyes the other thing that they have here is i don't know if he's slated to play next season with his injury but they still have victor oladipo on the books and is the path forward he gets healthy and hits i don't it's it's not a viable path forward but like sure I just, and maybe they'll finish with the 14th best record next year and get the number one pick in the draft <laughs> like we're throwing out likely scenarios right the I think the last thing we need to talk about is there's really nothing to glean from Philly, um, Philly and Washington. Is there going to be any fallout once Washington loses? The Bradley Beal's future is going to get interesting because I don't – I know he said he wants to stay there, and I'm not a fan of putting words in players' mouths, but with free agency coming up after this year, the front office has to at least have a conversation with him and be realistic about where it is because Russ and Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, they're taking up most of your cap. What are the improvements here? Rui Hachimura has gotten better this year. You have Denny Avdia. Daniel Gafford's real. Denny Avdia was, I think he's better. He's obviously not playing right now, but I thought he was better than expected this year. Do you have a clear path forward in the imminent future to be a fringe contender? I don't know that that conversation heats up until around the trade deadline. I still think they just try and run it back with, because Russ wasn't healthy. He was playing through a torn quad this year. The series I really want to talk about before we wrap up, Memphis, Utah. It's been surprisingly fun. Yeah, Yeah. Holy Grizzlies for sure. They are... Way friskier than I think anyone anticipated. John Morant, talk about a star turn. He could just get anything he wanted during game two. And just a joy to watch. Yeah. It feels like he's another player where like De'Aaron Fox a few years ago, Trey Young right about now. Like it just, it's noticeably slowing down for him, which is pretty terrifying given his speed and hops. They're super fun, but I don't really expect this to be that competitive of a series going forward. I don't, really expect John Morant to be able to replicate a 47-point game. Donovan Mitchell is only going to get further integrated into this rotation. And Utah is still just a machine when all of its pieces are there. Like, if you send any sort of help on a pick and roll, Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell is going to find the open guy, and they're going to make the shot or swing for an even easier one. This, This offense in particular is a machine, and the Grizzlies... Much like basically every other team in the NBA, don't really have a way to play Rudy Gobert off the court. That and look, the other thing, their pick and roll defense in game two was non-existent. Not just bad; it didn't exist. The and look, I think it was encouraging Donovan Mitchell the performance he had. You could tell the timing was sort of off, and even just looking at his passes, like 
still getting his feel back. But for a first game after missing a month plus in the playoffs against a defense like the Grizzlies, important. I wonder if was Mike Conley's sort of injury problems last year, blessing in disguise where he didn't play as much. And now he's just so friggin' fresh and 15 assists, 15 assists. He's so good. And they were like pinpoint. This was not like, I'll, I'll, since we're complimenting Utah, I'll throw out a Utah comparison. This was not like padding the stat books with John Stockton assists. <laughs> I thought you said we were complimenting Utah. I know, and I and then I said that I could afford to make that comparison. Well, I don't know because we're already gassing them up a little when bit when we right? eviscerated one of their fans just at the, the earlier of this pod. Right. Uh, right. Mike Conley's floater game was just on point, though. In that game, sorry, is it? I forgot to turn the volume off on. Uh, a video that was next to the shot chart that I was looking at five of nine on twos outside the restricted area, but inside the paint five of not five of 10 overall on just twos outside the restricted area. Still just so good. And I think I know it's only the Grizzlies, but I think my impressions where I thought Utah might be, I don't want to say a paper tiger, but I wasn't, I didn't think they were going to win the title and I still, they're not my pick. They're probably more threatening. They're still my pick. Uh, That's if they win the title, you're going to look awfully good. They're Rudy Gobert is just dominant. They don't, there's just no, what is the, and what is the team that can defend Rudy Gobert? Maybe the Lakers, if they face the Clippers in the next round, by the way, they're going to chew through them with the way that the Clippers have been defending. Dan, I just love that sentence though, that you said, how can they defend Rudy Gobert? Because he is that good on offense. Well, and, and the, like, I get the space I get he has why to operate too. Like him all the time. Right. I get why people don't like him all the time because he does the flop. That he flop does in complain. Game one. Did you it see was, that? It was bad. Oh, yeah. It was terrible. And he does that fairly frequently. You know, the whole touching all the microphones and shutting down the whole NBA things and some of the comments that he's made. Like, I understand why he rubs people the wrong way. But there is not enough appreciation for just how good he is on both ends of the floor. And it's about way more than the screen assists, which, you know, a lot of people like to make fun of, even though they're valuable. He's a deadly role man. He's a good offensive rebounder. He is a very underrated passer. Again, the screens are really impactful. He's so good on the offensive end, despite not scoring that much. He can completely control a game and still score. Yeah, the the Jazz are, they are a threat. And their path to the, let's say the Western Conference Finals, at least, looks a lot rosier now. Because I still think that they, I don't know that they're defending Doncic will be a problem for them, but like the Mavericks defending them might actually be harder than them defending the Mm -hmm. Clippers right now. And if they do for some reason face the Clippers who came back with the way that LA has defended, they're going to be mincemeat for Utah. Utah was a top five offense all year long. They Let's not forget that. Even when their offense has been bad in playoffs past, not not so much last year, but uh, Mitchell's first two seasons in the league, they were still generating really high quality shots. That's what their offense does. Now it's just you have so many guys who are going to knock them down between Boya Bogdanovich, between Mike Conley, between Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell even. If someone has an off night, there's just like, yeah, there's – I think there's a, a limit to their real shot creation. Donovan Mitchell is so important to them to do that even when you have Conley and Boya Bogdanovich and Ingles. But there's just always going to be someone else who is making threes. Anything else you have? If, if people want to hear more about the Grizzlies, we did do a deep dive in our previous podcast about where they sort of go from here and get to that next level that that's certainly worth listening to. I think it was towards the end of our past podcast. We don't want to get into any of the other series because they all are have two of them are happening as we speak and we don't want to date this too hard. What else are you really, what are you watching for the rest of the first round? What are you most intrigued by and why is it the implosion of the Clippers? I think it's the Knicks Hawks series and the Clippers Mavericks series. I'm uh, assuming that Denver, Portland, and Phoenix, Los Angeles Lakers are still off limits because they're currently in progress. Yeah, they, I, you could say that you're still going to watch them. I just hope if we could get like a full str- a, a 75% CP3 performance in Game Four, yeah, to make this a series. It's that I had Suns in seven. I'll stand by that pick. But Chris Paul, some really tough breaks in the playoffs these past few yes. years from yes. getting destroyed by Josh Smith in the fourth quarter with the, when he was with the Clippers to the hamstring injuries with Houston, whatever the hell ended up happening in Houston that following year to now this really just blows, but I'm not counting Phoenix out yet. Just makes that's the series I'm really watching. I was, I was probably most intrigued by it to begin with. And then Knicks Hawks obviously will be, yeah. will be something to watch. And then Clippers for the car crash theory. You can't look away, but 
I see my I just, pick. I, I'm not changing my pick yet. Maybe that's dumb. I'm not, I totally get. I'm not changing Mavs. my Clippers in five pick either. I'm sticking with Clippers in five. It's not looking good. Says the other guy who picked the Clippers in five. Oh, you had them in five too. I, I don't remember. It was either five or six. If it's six, your pick's at least still alive. If that makes you feel any better. Yeah, for now. This was fun. If you guys have not subscribed to us wherever you get your podcast, hey, and you're listening to this, do that. Rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Please go to iTunes, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Those help us out a lot, and I don't think we've gotten one in a couple weeks, which is seems bizarre when we know how many people listen to this podcast. So help help Adam and I out. If you throw us five stars, you can call us whatever names or insults you want in the reviews, as long as the rating is five stars. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow the sports math net the sports math network on Twitter at the underscore sports underscore math. That handle always trips me up, but go follow them. Until next time, leave it to shout out to the one, the only. I'm doing this for Adam because he's been championing him as a fantastic offensive player for so long. Soon to be defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.